Hi, I'm Raymaker of DC Raymaker, and I review drones, and particularly review drones for a sports technology side of it, as well as, of course, drones at large. And today we're going to dive into all the nuances of drones in terms of not just like cinematography, but sports technology over the last uh, decade, really, and where those drones have come from the days of them trying to follow you without obstacle avoidance to today having a crazy obstacle avoidance, but still end up crashing into trees. Hi everyone, I'm Greg from Pilot Institute. We train drone pilots all over the country. Hi, my name is Haya from DroneXL, where we cover all the drone news on our website. Welcome to the latest episode of the Pixel Drone Show, our weekly podcast where we talk to industry professionals about what they do in the UAS space. From professionals who use drone to fly inspection missions to public safety users, or even drone light shows, you will learn on the Pixel Drone Show that drones are much more than just toys. All right, well, let's get started with the first question. Uh, both Greg and I are, are runners as well, and we know, of course, you're an athlete. Uh, can you tell us, how did you get started with DC Rainmaker? I mean, what prompted you to, to start the blog and start reviewing all this, uh, this sport equipment? Yeah, it was years ago. I started, uh, it was training for my first Ironman uh, race, so a triathlon. Uh, and I basically, had, this is back in the days where you actually had to travel to the race site. And so in my case, it was uh, Ironman Canada. I traveled to that race site yep. and you have to spend the day watching the event uh, and then you sign up the next morning afterwards. And so it's an entire very involved process. These days you just do it online. Um, and so that was like documenting my journey to my very first Ironman a year in advance. So you sign up a year uh, prior to the event. And so that became... Kind of where I started on the sports technology side and, and running and cycling and swimming for triathlon. And then uh, eventually over time, it picked up other tech interest of mine from action cameras and eventually into drones as well. Ah, so, then so that's uh, how you migrated basically from reviewing sports equipment into more cameras. And then I guess drones was what the natu natural uh, extension? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of one of those things where I, I sort of end up reviewing anything that was sport techie along the way uh, that I just happened to find interest in. Uh, and so in, in my case, I kind of had a history that um, I wanted to be a pilot. And so I, I spent a lot of time in the aeronautics realm and started on my pilot's license. And then I moved to to Washington, D.C., and that's a really bad place to try to continue your pilot's license um, yeah. due to all the no-fly zones. And you have to you just spend basically like 90 minutes on the highway to get out to be able to go fly. Um, and so it just wasn't wasn't viable to continue there. And then I moved on to other places that became even more unviable to continue. So um, someday I will get back to becoming a, a real-life pilot. But, uh, you know, the drone side of it, it always kind of interested me. And then as drones and sports kind of continue to get more and more kind of uh, close right you know back years ago it was just you put a drone you took a picture of something in the sky you couldn't even see it until you got it back down again um and then eventually at the point where you had drones following you and that's kind of where i became more interested in them and started incorporating them into what i do and uh, eventually became kind of more on the review side of it that's awesome that's exciting i i have to say ray i'm uh i'm a little starstruck because i've been following you pretty much since 2009 i think uh um, when i started running <laughs> way back <laughs> when you were still when you were in dc and uh when you moved to paris and so followed all that uh followed your uh your wife starting her shop in paris and and all these things yep. so uh, uh when when hyatt told me that you were coming on the show i was really really excited uh <laughs> there's not a single watch that i've purchased for running that i haven't watched a review on your website so you've, oh, thank you uh, you've been doing yeah you've been doing amazing things out there but i i tell all my For friends sure. i used to tell them you know anytime you want to buy a watch just, just go to his website and watch a review <laughs> yeah. you'll know everything you need to know so uh, I'm, uh, I'm definitely a big fan and uh it's uh it's super exciting to have you here uh you and i you, you we were chasing the same prs for a long time so i always related to you because we were doing triathlons doing running uh, trying yeah. to chase the the same goal so that was uh that was always exciting so anyway I'll get to my question. Uh, what was the uh, the first drone that you actually reviewed on the, on the website? I think the very first one that um, made like the cut for the website was the Phantom Four. I think um, it may have been like AirDog original, like V one of AirDog was in that same rough time frame. I have to go back and see exactly the timelines there, but um, 
all in that same range. I had used drones, some of the earlier Phantom series before that, but the Phantom 4 was one of the first ones I did almost as an accident. Um, I was skiing with a, a buddy of mine uh, in the Alps, and we were trying to track ourselves going downhill with the drone. And um, this was my first YouTube video involving a drone where we just stuck it up there, we recorded what we were doing. Uh, it seemed like awfully professional at the time. By these days, standards, it wouldn't um, went do too well. But it you know, we got the thing up there and started following us, but it just stayed like level the entire time as we went down the hill. Yep. Um, yeah. And this was, you know, the first introduction to, oh, it doesn't actually follow you downhill, which is things that we kind of take for granted these days. But back then, it never went below its takeoff point. Um, and so that video like went crazy in the scope of you know, drone videos, still one of my highest drone videos ever. It's over like half a million views, I think, or something like that. Um, wow. And it's also my first introduction to the... the the differences between something like a sports watch audience versus a action camera and drone audience um, in terms of the composite of that audience, what you say and, you know, how you um, how you have to approach those different technologies are, are very, very different. Uh, and so it's that uh, it was a, a good learning experience. Um, the video, it's funny because the video itself, like it shows everything. But there's all these little like nitpicky things that uh, by today's standards get get kind of torn apart. So is that the difference that you find in, in the different types of viewership is how picky people are with drones? Vast, vastly different. Um, so it's a whole different ballgame. <laughs> um, yeah, it's yeah. you, you have to cav, I would say caveat the crap out of things is the best way of describing it. Like I am, I am yep. constantly in my brain, um, caveating for, um, what can be a very uh, diverse audience in terms of what their technical understanding is. So you're mm -hmm. always kind of sitting there and, and caveat and like, here is exactly why I'm doing this. And here's why I'm not doing this over here because this won't work this way and showing that. And that's what YouTube is, but I've learned that like the age range for a drone video, an action cam video is often very, very large in terms of being, you know, young teenagers all the way up to yeah. 70 something um, versus like yeah. a, you know, sports watch for an Ironman. You're not typically attracting a very young audience for that. You're attracting yeah. someone that's, you know, at the low end, maybe in the, in the twenties or thirties, but I mean, it's, it's just a different, different group of people. And so um, you've learned, I've learned to like, just kind of do things differently for that audience uh, than I would on the, you know, a sports watch or something like that. Yeah, that makes sense. Go going back to uh, to the Phantom 4 that you took with you in the Alps, I mean, uh, a Phantom 4, if you, if you package that in a backpack, it's pretty much the entire backpack is dedicated to the drone, right? I mean, you have the yep. props, you have the batteries, you have the controller, like it's bulky, it's heavy. Uh, also back then, like you pointed out, obstacle avoidance, uh, didn't allow the drone to, to descend and follow you as you work your way down the mountain. Yep. How has that changed since the, the more recent drones that we have now? Like, where have you seen the improvements and are we there yet in terms of having the perfect drone for somebody like yourself who's an athlete and wants uh, a drone to be able to follow you and record your activities? We're, we're definitely not there yet. Um, we're getting closer, but it's kind of, mm -hmm. it's always been like, you know, two steps forward, one step back. Um, so like the backpack is a great example that, yeah, you, I remember those days, I still have it floating around somewhere here, this yeah. like pseudo hard shell backpack that you took with you. Oh, yeah. And so you had to decide like, are you carrying things for the rest of the day for a whole day of skiing in the Alps means you never come back to the lodge. You're out there, you know, yeah. for, um, the entire day. And it's like, okay, I'll carry the drone today and you carry our other things. Um, and that's just the, the way it worked. Whereas now it's, you know, it's the size, not even the size of a running shoe, right? A, yeah. a, a mini drone or even like the older Mavic Airs and stuff are, are tiny. Um, but we've also seen, so while we've seen advancements, of course, in camera technologies and active track from a following perspective, like back then, you were lucky if you can get active track to follow you for even 30 seconds, like yeah. 30 seconds for it to follow you without getting distracted by something. Yeah. Um, even like if you were in the middle of an empty desert, it would get distracted by something <laughs> in 30 seconds, um, let alone trees and all those sort of things, right? So you yeah. had like generally miserable, you had obstacle avoidance, generally miserable, and then you had this whole thing to carry with you. And so we've, we've checked off a lot of those lists and that it's smaller, right? The the mini series is tiny and it, with the yep. mini three, it's active track is just as good, if not arguably, I would say even better actually than something like the Mavic 3 um, in terms of what it can do. Uh, and then you've got things like obstacle avoidance where 
you have you know, drones like Skydio that just have insane obstacle avoidance um, as to what they're able to do and tracking as well. They're in that same boat of just, they track, you know, certainly better than DJI does in most cases. And then you have cinematic stuff in terms of like the photo and the video side of it and the specs and all that has obviously improved. Uh, but there's still elements that, that, that are clunky. Um, so in the case of Skydio, right, you've got this drone you can throw in the air. That's great. And you don't, you don't actually have to have a remote control. It just follows you and you throw your phone in your, throw your phone in your pocket or whatever the case is. And, and life is grand or the beacon. Um, but unfortunately, in the case of DJI, you still have to have this controller with you, uh, which, years ago too like with the phantom 4 yeah. you actually didn't have to have your controller you could use your phone and even put it in your pocket and it would do the whole controller follow me they used to call it follow me mode that was the difference between the controller following or the the person um and they've unfortunately gone away from that which is too bad in the last couple of years i would love for dji to either go back to phone control which because in, in an athletic sense i don't need a drone to be like 200 meters away if you're yeah, following an athlete high. yeah it's going to be within 100 meters, if not within 20 or 30 meters. Didn't see uh, the Mavic Air, the original one? Didn't that also yep. allow you to fly from the phone? I mean, I know from, from a pilot's perspective, people always like, oh, you can't fly a drone from a phone because it's inaccurate and stuff. But if you use it like the way you use it, where you want the drone to follow you in a relatively close distance, uh, not having to worry about the controller and your phone is something you probably have with you anyway, uh, it makes sense, yep. doesn't it? Exactly. So the Mavic Air, the original one, uh, supported that up to 100, meter, 100 meters or so. Um, yeah. And it was like reliable at 80-ish. Uh, and kid you not, I still use that drone today um, for tracking uh, because if I'm out cycling and I'm going for a 100-mile ride, the last thing I want to take yeah. with me is one more thing in my back pocket. Um, but mm -hmm. the Mavic Air fits my back pocket, a single pocket, just fine. It's got 4K. The active track is acceptable for most scenarios and like road cycling and most scenarios of just getting B-roll and things like that. Um, the Mini 3 has changed my perspectives a little bit now where I'm, I'm kind of willing to combine those two size and weights into one uh, and get higher quality stuff. But uh, yeah, I just wish there was something in the middle there. I wish... You know, there was a, a beacon for DJI, or I wish yeah. Scadio had a smaller footprint, right? Because that's the problem with the Scadio is you're back to effectively the backpack. I mean, at the end yeah. of the day, if you're taking a Scadio 2 out there, you're taking some backpack sort of thing with you. Yeah, bigger. It, it, where do you see this technology going in the future, next five years? What would be to you the what would make it perfect? I think it, perfect would be a mini three size drone um, with a Mavic 3 telephoto lens and a Skydio beacon would be perfection. And uh, Mavic 3 obstacle avoidance. So, or actually, not Mavic 3, Skydio obstacle avoidance. So, flip that around, if you will. Take a Skydio drone and put DJI cinematics into it. And foldable and arms happy. and legs, I guess. Full, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so yeah, the size of a Mat Mini Three. So it's got to. They've got to like find a way for those two to merge together, th and that would be my my perfection. I think with the Skydio, uh, because I spoke to the to those guys from Skydio uh, some time ago. I think part of the problem was that if you made the drone foldable, then the lo exact locations of the cameras that are used for right. obstacle avoidance weren't always in the exact same spot necessarily, and it would throw off the drone's capability. Uh, basically, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm okay with not necessarily having foldable, like look at something like the spark, right? So mm -hmm. way back when I guess the spark wasn't foldable, but it was tiny enough that, yeah. that I could squeeze that into my pockets. Or if I'm running, I can put that in a camelback or any of those things. It's small enough that it works, right? Um, mm -hmm. If you could have the, the functionality of Scadio in that package, that would be that would be amazing. And I don't actually need like super long battery life from a sports tracking standpoint. Mm -hmm. um, it's, nice to have 30 or 40 minutes on you know the, the mini three but practically speaking most of the shots you want are going to last yeah. like five to seven minutes at most it, it, it's funny because uh in in now we've been recording the pixel drone show for more than a year and we we've spoken to all these different professional drone pilots using drones in different ways and it's like depending on how they use drones their wish list for what the ideal drone is changes so now we're talking to somebody like you and now all of a sudden let's say flight time is not so important whereas in our previous show we were talking to somebody who works for um search and rescue uh, operations he's like oh i need yeah. battery life i need battery life more the better so it's it's funny how you when you talk to different people that use drones in different ways their their requirements of course uh, change as well um in terms of obstacle you know, absolutely because i think yeah i was gonna say on on that actually someone just emailed me today that's a um a professional drone operator that flies 
big, big drones, right? I mean, yeah. huge, heavy lifting, custom built drones uh, for various events and um, kind of like, you know, live broadcast stuff. And, you know, so, so some pictures of these just massive rigs. Um, and, but his, his question was, you know, when will we see DJI add support for the Mini 3 to the RC Pro? Because he needs the HDMI out feed from that controller. Yeah. And in particular, yep. he wants the Mini 3 for places that legally he, needs to be under a certain weight limit that you know getting the permits and all this kind of stuff in certain areas is just impossible uh for certain events or certain scenarios where that little drone fits the bill right it's the whole you know casey neistat right i'm certainly yeah. a popular youtuber always talked about you know the the best camera is the one that you have with you right and it's, it's the same mm -hmm. thing in drones that you can have an amazing cinematic camera but if you can't get it to the location you want or um whatever the case may be mm -hmm. A 4K camera on the the Mini 3 is going to stand up against even the best drone cameras of just a few years ago, right? It's it's kind of insane to see how quickly things yeah. have moved on. Um, and it's yeah, being able to have that flexibility to go from a giant drone to something tiny based on your what yeah. that particular production need is, is is super important. I think it's uh, it's amazing how drones have changed uh, over the last what, let's say six seven years where uh, it started out as a flying camera and all of a sudden people started using it in ways that the drone really wasn't designed to be used but people did it nonetheless yep. and then of course you get all these different types of drones and um, it's it's fascinating I think to see how people have been using drones and then the new ways uh, that we can use them uh, that have come up um, Let's sw switch gears here a little bit. I mean, as somebody like you who's been reviewing drones in great detail for a number of years now, uh, can you tell us how you go about your review process uh, for drones? <laughs> I try not to kill them. Um, <laughs> that's uh, <laughs> just a bit. Um, start out with five you know, drones. For me, <laughs> start out with five, we end up with less, right? It's like the, you know, what's the fastest way to become a uh, a millionaire in the airline business? You know, start as a yeah. millionaire. Yeah, exactly. Uh, same kind of thing. Yeah. Same approach. Um, so it's <laughs> same approach. Um, no, I think for me, you know, I kind of, my my drone reviews have always had a bit of a sports angle to them, but I'm also reviewing the drone as a cinematography thing or as a purpose-built thing, depending on what its purpose is. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm mostly going to start on the sports side, the tracking side, and seeing how well that performs and seeing how well it is for all sorts of other things. Um, but, you know, the cinematography aspect is a huge piece of it. I think if you look at my, my review process and how I kind of walk through that, I'm going to be grabbing B-roll for things that I might want uh, using those drones and trying to get those same shots on those drones in review that I would in in normal everyday life. And uh, I was in, in the Caribbean a couple weeks ago uh, while I was shooting the Mini 3 review, but I was using that footage for other videos and other reviews that I have that have nothing to do with drones. And so, you know, to be able to use that footage and think about, okay, does this drone fit what I need to be able to, um, you know, replace other drones? And like an example was I was trying to get some shots um, out in the water uh, in the ocean with some deep surf, doing some open water swimming and stuff. And that's where having the flexibility of something like the Mavic 3 was was useful to be able to zoom in um, from, from further away uh, versus the Mini 3. It was like, okay, now I've got to either be close to the waves or I got to... Yeah reposition every time um and so those are things that you kind of think about when you're writing the review up and go okay who is this drone for and, and what are they using it for mm -hmm. and again it, everyone's needs vary and i i think it's really easy for a, a lot of people to fall into the trap of a uh, professional will never use this because of blah and the reality is the definition of professional varies depending on what it is right i mean and in some senses, I am a professional in terms of I make my my living making product reviews. And so if I need that drone to do something in the line of making a product review for something else, right, for a watch, for a bike computer, for a, a mm -hmm. swim device, um, I'm going to use the right tool for the job. And in some cases, that's going to be the higher end drone. In some cases, that's going to be a smaller drone. Now, if, if you review a watch, so do uh, it doesn't really matter, right? Because a watch you can, you can use everywhere. There's no rules. You don't need a license or anything like that. If you fly yeah. drones in all these different locations, in the Netherlands, in the Caribbean, here in the US, like how do you deal with, with staying on top of all the different drone regulations and the drones that you're allowed to use in certain ways, but maybe not in a different way? Like what's involved yep. there? It's it's a nightmare. Um, yeah. It's I am mm -hmm. I am without. I would argue that there are very few people in the YouTube drone realm that are as nitpicky on legal rules as I am in terms of making sure every single 
item is absolutely perfectly crossed. Um, just because I, one, I don't want to hear it in the comments um, that, yeah. you know, you shouldn't have flown there or whatever the case is. Um, and two, I think it's helped set a precedent. Uh, and so, you know, like for me living here in Amsterdam, I can't fly anywhere near me. Every time I go do something, I've got to drive or bike or whatever the case may be, you know, 20 to 60 minutes away. Like today I was shooting stuff for a drone thing for tomorrow uh, and I had to go. I don't have a car either, so that makes it worse. So I had to go find a car share car around the city. So I pedaled 20 minutes to the car share car. I got the car share car. I then drove 30 minutes outside. I did my thing. I drove somewhere else where I had to do another drone thing and then I came all back. The whole thing took almost four hours um, because legally I can't fly here and you know if if it you know was someone that just didn't care they would go off to the forest here that's mm -hmm. you know a kilometer or two away and they would they would do the thing and no one would ever know right but i i think it's super important to do that and so uh, i'm always looking at when i'm going somewhere like what do i have to have to be able to fly there legally what licenses do i have what permissions do i have to have yeah. uh and sometimes the answer is you just simply can't right you just can't either you know, in terms of the timelines that you have or whatever the case is. And uh, I think in the EU, it's gotten a lot easier with relatively unified rule sets across the board. Um, mm -hmm. But even then, there's still lots of lots of like gaps in, in what you can and can't do and what you think you can and can't do, depending on country to country. And, and then within that, I don't think the average consumer can realistically try to navigate a lot of that stuff. I mean, having to pull up a map like I went to Italy uh, just a week and a half ago, and I shot a couple things there briefly. That wasn't the purpose of my trip. I just happened to have to take the the drone along with me and shot a few things. And you know, in order for me to see the no fly zones in Italy, I had to register on an Italian site um, that was in Italian. Go through this whole long registration process to ask me my license, my birthday, all this kind of stuff. Yeah just to be able to see the no-fly zones. You could see the map without registering, wow. but that didn't actually show you the no-fly zones. And you sit there and go, your average person isn't going to do that. Uh, and then, you know, mm -hmm. once I got all that figured out, for me to do what I needed to do, I had to run five kilometers outside of town to get beyond the no-fly zone edges um, so that I could be in, you know, in the right situation. And would have anyone have noticed if I was four kilometers versus five mm -hmm. in the middle of a vineyard? No, but I think you just, you have to do it. It matters. Yeah, I'm the yeah. same way. I agree. I, I'm actually about to travel to go see my parents in France, and I've never flown a drone in France, even though I, I grew up there, but never had a chance to do it. So I'm bringing a drone to try it. But then I was reading the rules online, and I'm like, well, okay, this is a completely different world than flying. And then you can't fly over houses. Every single house pretty much has a little red yep. no-fly zone on top, which is funny because their backyard, portion of their backyard is in a no-fly zone, but I can go a little bit further in their backyard, and then I can take off and fly, yeah. even though they're in the middle of the country and a small village of 200 people it's it's really interesting to see the uh, the different set of roles um do you do you do this full-time now is that your full-time job reviewing products yep yeah it's full-time job uh, reviewing products not just drones but you know all sorts of sports tech stuff so yeah it's uh the, between the site and and youtube those two is kind of essentially everything that uh takes up way more than what should time wise in a day <laughs> Yeah. So do you do you buy all the products that you review? I know for a long time you wouldn't yeah. take uh, products from from companies. So do you still do that? Yeah. So what what usually happens is companies will send products under loan initially, and then I'll return them and mm -hmm. I'll go off and buy them after the fact. So yeah. uh, you know, obviously for day zero product reviews, um, you can't buy it before day zero. So uh, but uh, companies will send products out for loan. That's true, whether it be Garmin or DJI or Apple or whatever the case may be. Um, and then once I'm done, I, I send them back to them uh, and go out and buy themselves. So in my case, I've already, you know, bought uh, Mavic 3 and Mini 3. All those drones, Skydio, I usually buy them as soon as they come out the same day. And then they come whenever they come. Um, and in some cases, you know, I don't have products on day zero. Like I didn't have the Mavic 3 on day zero. Um, but I... The nearby, like Cool Blue, which is equivalent of like Best Buy in the US, yeah. um, had it like day one. So the next morning, I had it right there, and I just went and bought it and did what I needed to do. And the videos still do well. Um, obviously, having drones early is a huge advantage, and you know, in that media space. Yeah. But um, I think you yeah. know, for certain types of content, you can make it even if it's delayed. Now, uh, if I remember correctly, uh, in your in your time when you were still in Paris, you pretty much had your apartment, I believe, as as your office space as well. Uh, I think your setup in the Netherlands is different, right? I mean, can you tell us about how you operate uh, in Amsterdam? 
Yep. Yeah. So in Paris, it was just our apartment for the first few years. And eventually I got a cave location underneath my wife's second bakery. Um, so like there was a little tiny, I mean, this is barely like the size of two small bathrooms in the US. Like it was super, super tiny, uh, maybe two and a half meters by yeah. like four meters or something like really small. Um, but then here in, in Amsterdam, we lucked out into finding what is effectively like industrial space, like warehouse space, uh, which is the greatest thing ever. So I've got 300 square meter, about 3000 square feet of just warehouse space. So I can, I can fly inside if I want to. Um, I can do all this kind of fun stuff and just have all the room in the world. And it's cheap because no one wants dirty warehouse space, but mm -hmm. I am thrilled with it. Uh, and so, yeah, I've got all <laughs> sorts of space there for everything from, you know, indoor bikes and um, watches and drones piled up everywhere. Um, but it's a, it's a it's a great kind of great location relatively in a city, but unfortunately, I can't fly out my front door. Okay. Literally, just above me is the final approach to Skipple, so it's but it doesn't work very well for somebody so into outdoor sports like biking, uh, skiing, snowboarding, yep. running, swimming. Uh, first, you're you're like stuck in Paris in the big city, which of course has different advantages, <laughs> but uh, maybe yeah. harder for certain sports. Uh, now you're in Amsterdam. Like, what made you decide to move to the Netherlands and Amsterdam and does that work with, um, I mean, obviously it does because you've been very successful, I think, but yeah. uh, how does that fit in, in, in like the stuff that you do and the things that you review and the sports that you do? Yeah. So for, uh, you know, in, in Paris, I was there initially for work. I worked for a large company before I kind of this full time. And so that was, that was out there. Um, and moving to the Netherlands, uh, we had come up, you know, on the train from Paris to Amsterdam. Like a couple times a year, it's yep. uh, maybe three hour train ride, um, and always enjoyed it here. It's always a very bike focused city, uh, and so we kind of got to the point with having uh, two kids at the time that were like, you know what, we're curious to try to get out of the city itself, um, and so we moved to Amsterdam, which we're still in the city, but it's not as we in in Paris we lived across the street from Notre Dame, like literally across yeah, the street. Yeah. So we were as close as you could possibly get to the center of Paris, um, a symbol on the ground there. And uh, here it's just more relaxed, um, but it's also really easy to get out of Amsterdam. So our the office that I have office space is right on uh, one of the lakes here in Amsterdam. So it's easy for me to do swimming there. It's on the forest as well, so I can go and run around the forest all day long, I could run, you know, a half marathon and they're easily without retracing your steps. And then it's just, you know, barely even two kilometers out towards the Amstel and then off into the countryside. So I can be, you know, on the Amstel into the countryside and passing cows in just a couple minutes. Um, so it's, it's one of those things that you're close in the city, but I'm, I mean, there's cows just at the end of the street right here. So it's, it's, <laughs> it's kind of funny how that kind of blended together. Yeah. Yeah. Good combination. Yep. I remember when you had all these uh, trainer boxes in your apartment in Paris and you're trying to figure out where to put everything <laughs> yeah. uh, in that uh, little apartment. <laughs> we still have trainer boxes everywhere trying to figure out where to put it. Even if I think when you just get more space, you just collect more things, right? Yeah. Eventually you have to make hard choices with oh, yes. less space. Um, I just have to make yep. less hard choices now, but it's, yeah. Yeah, we moved. Uh, we moved our Operation Pilot Institute from 220 square feet to uh, 3,500 square feet, and then I was like, "How are we ever going to fill out this space?" And then a week later, it was just full <laughs> of stuff. Just you, you just you just learn to expand. Well, I think the, <laughs> stuff everywhere. especially like for for us, that the pandemic hasn't helped with the last two years because we didn't we don't really have any guests in there otherwise. It's just myself and my my wife that work on there, um, and so you know this 3,000 square foot space. And so over the course of two years of no one visiting, you're like. Oh, we probably should tidy up around here. <laughs> it's getting kind of crazy. Yep. When the world <laughs> reopens, <laughs> setting up. Yeah. <laughs> so, do you uh, do you still film everything yourself? Do you have ever hire a crew to help you? No, everything's all all myself. Uh, my my wife helps me a bit on some of the editing, just rough cutting stuff. Just uh, basically taking my A roll and cutting it down, and then from there, uh, I'll layer and all the stuff. But uh, yeah, all the filming, everything else out and about, it's all all just. Uh, me putting cameras on tripods and microphones and hoping they all work and sometimes they do and sometimes they don't you, you must make uh, pretty long That's working hours no if you if you do all the writing the photos the editing uh, the recording everything there there are some very long days yeah. these uh these next few days are very long days for some products coming up over the next uh, 24 48 hours and uh sometimes it's quieter too uh, but yeah there's just it's it's never ending kind of stop of stuff yeah. or never ending pile of stuff where you just have to sort of sit back and decide what's going to 
make the cut and what's what's not. But also, I mean, let's say uh, take the Mavic Three. I mean, you get that drone, and then you have to do all the recording, the write up, and all that stuff. But first, before you even can get into that, you also have to fly the drone and just figure it out and see what works and what doesn't work, and and kind of form your opinion. Um, how much how much time do you yeah. dedicate, let's say, to getting to know the next product that you're going to review? It totally depends on the products. I think, you know, some products um, in general, I'd say uh, my my preferred timeline is between three and like five weeks to have a product yeah. um, to, to use it before, you know, getting review on it. And for the most part, that works out pretty well for most companies these days. Some products are longer, some products a little bit shorter, but that's the general gist of it. And uh, the number of times I need to utilize that product uh, can vary. So like with the Mini 3, for example, um, I had that uh, for a while. And so I probably had 30, 40 flights on it before you know I got my review yeah, yeah. kind of figured out and sorted out, um, which by that point, I felt super confident that I understood that drone inside and out. Um, and then sometimes mm -hmm. you don't really need 30 or 40 flights. You can you kind of figure things out within maybe half a dozen flights or 10 flights, and you can kind of got a pretty, you know, locked on idea. And then that, that remainder of those is sort of filling in the edges of the, the, the picture, if you will, of things yeah. that you're like, Oh, I didn't know how that, that would have worked in that scenario. And, um, you know, sometimes too, you have to be careful because when you get so far down that road of so much usage, um, you can kind of become a bit blinded by the little quirks that, are in every product, right? Mm -hmm. That's, you know, there's always things you want to improve. And I think it's easy for any reviewer, myself and otherwise, to always try to find, like, nitpick everything, yeah. right? And sometimes you have to step back mm -hmm. and go, no, this is just a really good product. Yeah. Um, and other times you say, yeah. no, this is just a really bad product. And we saw those, uh, like in the case of drones, we saw the two extremes in the case of DJI over the last eight months between the Mavic 3 launch being... Yeah. I would classify as a proper dumpster fire. Um, and then the mini three being <laughs> smooth, <laughs> probably. Yeah. Super yeah. smooth, super well so, done. Let's know, very, very small things to nitpick on in the grand scheme of things. Um, it's things that, you know, again, it's easy to nitpick on. Uh, like people can talk about range with the DJI RC, right. And the, the limited range there. Um, and then you have to step back sometimes and go, yes, but do I really need this drone? in this controller to fly more than a kilometer away from me, you know, more than 1500 meters away from me yeah. in most scenarios, right. And in most, most places on yeah. earth, that's considered illegal. Right. Yeah. So I don't need it to do that. And I, I appreciate that some people may have that, that particular need and have the, the ability legally to do that. Um, but the overwhelming vast majority of us don't. Um, and so yeah, I know you, kind of you, you get the coolest shots typically when you fly low and close to subjects anyway. I mean, there's no need to have a drone Absolutely. 10 kilometers away from you. Maybe if you're in search and rescue and stuff, but for, for the majority of people flying drones, nah, not necessary. Yeah. Most regulation yeah. doesn't allow it anyway. So yep. do you, have, have you ever come across a product so <laughs> bad that uh, you were going to do a review, but you decided not to? Not generally, no. I, I pretty much, I do reviews based on not whether or not the product's good or bad, but based on whether or not I have the time to finish it um, and whether or not um, it's something my audience is interested in, to be honest. Like, I think, uh, you know, I was super hard on the Mavic 3 repeatedly over and over and over again back last fall um, because I felt like it deserved it. I yeah. felt like it was released way too early. Yeah. Um, it didn't work well. I mean, yep. I put one of them in a canal I had to go fish out, like another one. I saw that. Uh, I mean, just... <laughs> Yeah, like it's just things that, and that was the least of its issues in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. Um, and so I, you know, dropped my reviews and stuff like that as they were. And the same is true for other products. Um, when I don't tend to release reviews, it's simply I've run out of time, like in terms yeah. of the number of products on my plate. Um, and especially if something, if I get something later than announcement date. So if something comes, you know, two weeks or four weeks after announcement, my desire to do a review has, you know, kind of gone down quite a bit because now there's less interest in that. Yeah. Um, and thus I'll get around to it when I get around to yep. it. Um, yeah. which talking about right uh, dumpster fires and everything. There's, there's two drones I want to talk about specifically. Uh, first one is, did yep. you ever review the GoPro Karma? Remember that one? Yep, I did. That was, oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that was, that was a rough drone. I actually pulled it out the other day cause I, I was trying to um, look at it for relation to the GoPro bone stuff and kind of talking about, you know, GoPro getting back into that sort of drone scene in general. Yep. Um, but man, that was, 
it was just a product that missed missed the mark in so yeah. many ways relative to that time frame like stepping us setting aside the whole you know battery falling out thing and drones falling out of the sky mm-hmm. um the the reality is that it just it was so big compared to its competitors oh, yeah. of those days um well the mavic came out at that time yep. the, the mavic pro the original yep. that was the destroyer yep. of that drone i had my finger oh, on the on the buy button for the karma when i heard about it coming out and then i think like two days later dji announced the uh the mavic pro and i was like oh never mind and i went for that one yeah that was yeah i was gonna buy the lily oh, do you guys yeah, remember the lily, lily? Yep. <laughs> <Not> <laughs> to remember. i was i had an order yep. uh, and i get my money back i was lucky one of the lucky yeah. few that get their money back because they run away with yep. some of the money so i yeah. as well yeah and then that um, but that's also a good yep. example yep. too of like the of karma being a case of back in those days DJI got away with way more than they would today. Um, and they got away with way more than GoPro could then, right? Because if we remember that time frame, the concept of drones falling out of the sky was not at all new to people who flew drones quite a bit back then. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, having mm-hmm. a DJI drone fall out of the sky was not well, not unheard of. You yeah. could, and there was both flyaway incidents as well as just drones shutting off midair. Flyaway, yep. yeah. Um, and like I've yeah. had back in those days, I had multiple flyaways. I had a flyaway of a DJI drone off into the ocean. I had a flyaway of a three um, DR drone off into the ocean, um, where it just it thought it was going to zero comma zero GPS coordinates. Yeah. Uh, there was a bug, and it just mm-hmm. off it flew to the coast of Africa. Um, <laughs> and like that was not unheard of then, but for a company like GoPro, that was a major media thing, right? Yeah. Whereas back in those days, DJI was still kind of like this, you know, oh, you're you're a geek because you you know what a drone is from from DJI. But you know, these days, obviously, it's if if Mavic threes or Mini threes are falling from the sky, that would be a. Uh, yeah. the same sort of size of issue as it was for GoPro back then. Yeah. Let's uh, let's talk about the Mavic 3 uh, product launch. What do you what do you think yep. what's your take? What do you think happened there with with that product being released uh, too soon? I think someone just decided far enough up the food chain that they had to release it in time for Christmas. Yeah. And it was as simple as that and that yep. was you know, once when you look at all product launches in that time frame from every company, um, you know, you basically have this ramp that starts in mid but really late august you know uh, last week of august and early september mm-hmm. and those are the products that they carry through until you can squeak by a product launch as late as the last week of october maybe the first week of november but from a market standpoint from all the um companies that sell products out there the walmarts the costcos the all that entire range they need to have those products locked by early october september mm-hmm. time frame and so you have to make decisions realistically in September whether or not your product will launch and be available for Christmas because they're starting to lock down all the the Christmas stuff. The same thing is true of magazines across any product range. Companies are buying ad spots for magazines that'll be coming out in you know September, October, November for holidays. And I think DJI decided probably in that September to early October timeframe that this is what they were going to do. And Mm-hmm. As we saw, the product just wasn't ready. I mean, it, it fundamentally wasn't ready, not just in the sense of like crashing into canals, but in the sense of the features that people expect for a two to $5,000 drone. They, they didn't match what was available in a mini SE yeah. at the time. I mean, like there was, there was features that a mini SE had that a Mavic 3 didn't. Um, it's just... Yeah, I don't. I don't understand how that happened. Do Do you think that uh, DJI has become more greedy? That they're more focused on money? I mean, there's a few things I think that kind of hint in that direction. I mean, the Mavic Three is one where they rushed to get it to market before Christmas, even though the drone wasn't ready, and they acknowledged that because they promised all the other features and firmware updates. But I've seen it in other yep. cases as well. Like when they launch a new product, you can buy it on DJI.com, but you can't get it at Best Buy yet. Yeah, well, sometimes you can even before yep. the launch, but <laughs> you can't get it at B and H. Yeah. You can't get it at uh, at Amazon, like they kind of take the initial uh, flow of orders and kind of keep it for themselves. Uh, they've done something similar with DJI dealers where uh, for the enterprise drones, where now you can buy the enterprise drones directly from DJI. So they kind of circumnavigate the, the dealers. Like have they they've done the yep. same thing with affiliate uh, rates for, for people that review their products? Do you think that they've become too greedy at this point? I think, I mean, there's an element to that. I think that's a an area where we have to sort of separate um, 
our like what impacts us or impacts dealers or distributors versus what impacts consumers um, in the sense that mm-hmm. uh, you know one of the challenges I guess there's two different things there one of the challenges if we look back at historically people buying DJI products on launch day is it was darn near impossible to actually find them yeah. because you you know DJI themselves had a handful on their site if at all back in the day you always had to go to third party retailers and there was this whole crazy game of have you called all these little tiny hobby yeah. shops across the US right i remember that game and you're sitting there like well, Joe's, you know, Joe's uh, Crab Shack in Arkansas has them. Three like, left. Why does Joe's Crab Shack have? Yeah, and he's got him. It's like, but he doesn't even sell drones. He sells like lawnmowers, yeah. and he has these things. And so, um, I think you know, from a consumer standpoint, that was frustrating. Versus, I went on DJI site the moment they announced Simini Three, bought it, and it showed up the morning it was you know available on the seventeenth, yeah. right? So the next, you know, the first day it was here, like. That worked. Now, obviously, there was a limited supply, but I knew as a drone enthusiast that I was ready to click that button as soon as it went live. And so, you know, from a consumer standpoint, that worked well. Now, from a retailer, distributor, affiliate, all that kind of stuff, that's problematic because that that takes out effect, effectively the cuts along the way. Uh, I guess the question that yep. is out there that I don't have an answer to, and really only DJI would, is by removing those cuts, does it keep the prices down lower, right? And that's that's a tough question. If we look at all the other product segments over the last two years, especially in seeing uh, cost of shipping goods, cost of components, cost of inflation, all those things going up, um, should something have cost less? And, you know, the case of the Mini 3, or sorry, case of the Mavic 3, that still cost a crap ton. Arguably, that was a massive product pricing shift for DJI, pushing that upwards, probably too high. Um, and then on the flip side, the Mini 3 price was in the general ballpark of where it's been if you yeah. account for inflation. Like it's, uh, again, I don't know if that's DJI looking back over the last eight months and learning and saying, oh, that didn't work well. We should, we should you know, readjust here. Yeah, and also I think DJI for the longest time has been trying to take as much market share as they could by volume, right? So they've been selling their drones at volume, which also makes it cheaper. They've taken a big hit with the uh, the, the public safety, especially in the U.S., not being able to sell some of these drones because of the political things going on. Yep. So they may be at the point now where the price they were selling before may not make a lot of financial sense and they have to raise as yep. well. Um you know that you were talking about their their technique to release a product i feel a lot i feel like dji is a lot more like apple these yeah. days than they've yeah. ever been before where you 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 see the product you buy it it's available as opposed to hotel for example hotel i think has yet to learn how to do that they release a product and then it takes two months, three months before you even see it hitting the shelf. And then yeah. everybody, the buzz is gone. And then probably another drone came out before that. And then, and then it's too late. Uh, is, is, have you, have you seen any other companies doing kind of the same thing DJI is doing in the drone space? Cause I don't think I have. Uh, not yet. I mean, Scotty was probably pretty close to that. Um, in a sense of like, you could order it. It goes back to the concept, like you said, of Apple effectively of, we've announced something and you can purchase it almost right away. And Apple actually isn't necessarily the best in that realm in the sense that most Apple products, when they have their big announcement days, you don't get to purchase it till the Friday, right? They announce it on the Tuesday or so, and then you can finally click order on Friday and then it shows up the next Friday. Um, But when I talk to companies across the sports technology space, you know, one of the things I talk about is that you have one article to get someone to convert someone to buy your product, you have one chance, one article on day zero at launch time. Um, so if your site and your whatever distribution system isn't set up to accept an order for the thing that you just announced, you have failed and potentially permanently uh, because you know some products are impulse purchases, things that you're like, oh, I'll buy that right now, and you buy it and you go about your way. And some of them are like, oh, that's really cool. Oh, I, I can't buy it today. And you close the tab and you never ever come back. Um, and yep. you know, a drone, it falls more towards the, you think about it because it's a bigger purchase and you're planning on doing it. Um, but there are smaller products. That's not the case. And I think we've seen DJI certainly emulate Apple. Um, and I think even look at the mini three, right? This is the first time we've seen them have a separated time period between announcement date and availability date of exactly one week. And people nope. don't like people that. don't like that. Um, now, from a, a media sense, it's great because I have a week to get stuff done. Um, <laughs> I have a week to like put out new content. Yep. But um, 
but I can also understand the flip of that and that, you know, if I went back to Mavic 3, my ability to put out videos in the Mavic 3 that did extremely well was because I could walk into a store the next morning yeah. and buy it um, versus I couldn't have done that with yeah. this. Yeah, I, I noticed the same thing. Uh, if I if I look at the traffic on Drone Excel uh, and, and if you research uh, what people search for more on the day that the product is launched, uh, the search traffic just goes through the roof. and. It's, it will still be high the next day, but it tapers off incredibly fast as well. So I, I totally agree with you that if you miss that initial spike, you miss a lot of momentum. Absolutely. Yeah, but it's always yeah. actually surprised me that Apple hasn't hasn't shifted that time frame yeah. closer between the availability of purchase and whatnot. Again, in Apple's case, you're talking big ticket items. People are generally not impulse buying a you know three or $5,000 Mac, but... Still, there are plenty of items that people do impulse purchase by at, at various price points, depending on what you know, how much money you have, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I have. Uh, I'm curious about how you remember all the specs from all the products that you review, especially when it comes to comparing uh, with the previous product. I, I know, you know, we've we have a ton of drones in our office that we use on a regular basis, but from time to time, I, I have to go back to a year ago, and I'm like, I don't even remember what this drone <laughs> does specifically. So we take extens extensive notes. We actually created a database to keep track of all this stuff. How do you do it? How do you make sure that when you talk about an older product, you don't get things confused and that it's 100 percent yeah mostly i've got my own notes but one of the challenges i think i have with like i've got a product database for watches and things like that and you know for the longest time that was relatively mm -hmm. easy to maintain because firmware updates to products were few and far between right in the sense that um you know back yep. eight years ago companies released bug fixes and maybe like a few little minor things on their watches and by computers but Nothing much these days. That's expected. It's ex no right. new settings. Now it's yeah. vastly yeah. different. Like there was, you know, some changes um, to watches a week or two ago that were just released four months ago that are huge. And there's going to be another set of, of changes next week that are huge, huge upgrades that you know fundamentally change that database, if you will. Um, and the same is mm -hmm. kind of true for Jones, though less so in the case of DJI and Skydio. Like they're, the amount of change they have tends to be relatively minor. Um, Mavic 3 excluded because, again, it started so low that it only had, had so much room to grow. Um, but yeah, for me, I'm mostly looking at my own notes from launch, but I find more and more I'm double checking firmware update from a release notes is sort of my ground truth for where things yeah, are. Yeah. Uh, so I'll look at the specs on the site and then I'll look at, you know, the actual firmware update notes. And then a lot of times I'll just simply take out drones and double check them. I'll make sure they're fully updated on firmware, older ones, and double check that they yeah. haven't changed since launch. And most times they have, and you're like, okay, that actually does have that feature now. And, you know, it's like, if I looked at my notes from the Mavic 3 launch, it'd be missing. Yeah. everything and if i looked at my notes in mavic 3 launch in 36 it, yeah. hours it'd be missing yet another set of things that are coming out right so that's it, it's tough to like yeah. reconcile all that i, I kind of quickly want to go back it to uh, to yeah. being in the netherlands uh, i think one of your your more intriguing videos at least i found whether uh, your high speed wind tests uh, i think it was in the harbor of emmuiden <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep <laughs> that's exactly. one of the benefits of living in holland it, it it will be windy soon and it will be raining as well can you tell us a little <laughs> bit about those wind tests and maybe what you've experienced uh, i mean some of those drones i think might have been blown away perhaps or I, I am 100% successful on wind tests. Um, and it's funny. So the very first drone wind test I did was actually in the Netherlands well before I ever moved here. I went on vacation here yeah. uh, with my family I don't know, a number of years ago. And I put the little spark up in the air on the beaches um, down near uh, the Hague or Den Haag. Yeah. And, um, and it was, again, my first wind test. And I just basically, like, you could see the sand blowing across. I mean, it was howling. Um, and I threw it in the air, and it did fine. I showed some basic stuff and took it down again. And people were like, what? That's crazy. How did a little drone do that? Uh, and eventually, I was in the next thing. I was with the Phantom 4, I think it was, and the, the Mavic, original Mavic in uh, the Canary Islands. And the same thing up in the mountains. And it was just howling through there. Um, and like, oh, I'll just throw this in the air and show how well this does. Uh, and eventually, that got to he living here. And like you said, it's the greatest thing ever. Because if it's not windy today, it's going to be windy yeah. tomorrow um, and really windy. Uh, and I've, over time, found that that pier out there is just the best place on earth to shoot these videos <laughs> because it's consistently windy. Nobody goes out there. I mean, a few people will go out there. But on the on the worst days, I am alone out yeah. there, um, which is good from like a safety regulatory standpoint, et cetera. 
And there's a lighthouse at the end, two lighthouses, depending on which way the waves are coming, the waves crash over. Like it's cinematically perfect for this. Um, But I also spend a lot of time preparing for those videos uh, and preparing in terms of like the format itself is very repeatable, but um, I, I've never lost a drone on the wind test because I know what the actual limits of the aircraft are. And at, at the end of the day, when it comes to drones and wind, it's a very, very simple formula is what is the top speed of the aircraft that I can fly and then keeping the wind speed below that. And I know that DJI adds a buffer on top of that. Um, and so I know as long as I'm in that ballpark, I'm Should be good. I'm, good. Yeah. Uh, I'm lucky that both ends of the pier actually have weather stations on them that are you know, super accurate and accredited oh, right. and all that kind of stuff. So I can see the wind, so yeah, wind speeds in real time on both yeah. ends. Updated, I can see predictions uh, up to 10 days in advance. Um, I've got my own wind speed um, tools I take with me to validate that as well on the ground. Uh, and I've also make sure I'm always doing tests. In most cases, the wind is coming from the sea into the beach. Yeah. So I go out in the pier a kilometer or so uh, walking and then I do my test out there. And so if worse comes to worse, it'll fly towards the beach and I just put it down on the yeah. beach. Um, but uh, yeah, I've never lost one. I've in realistically, I have never got even got close to losing one. I, Not even. I think what you point yeah, out, uh, the, the maximum speed of the aircraft and the highest measured wind speed, those are two crucial things. I think the other thing that uh, I've always seen you do is you fly into the winds. So coming back is easy. And yeah. I've, I've seen other people uh, do distant tests and wind tests and they fly with the winds away from them and then they never <laughs> able to bring the drone back. I'm like, yeah, that was kind of to be uh, expected. Um, I've done a few wind tests. Uh, I live close to the Hudson River, and sometimes we get wind here too. Um, and I remember doing one video, and I'm like, oh, that's cool, and got quite a bit of traffic. And then I saw your video on the PRNM out, and I was, yeah, never mind. That uh, <laughs> the conditions <laughs> in Holland uh, are, are a lot better, and uh, can't really beat that here. Um, switching gears again, um, Phantom Four. Uh, are you hoping that DJI is ever going to come back with a Phantom 5 with perhaps interchangeable lenses as we once saw a prototype of? Or do you think we've moved on and it's all foldable and it's the Mavic and that's the top-of-the-line prosumer uh, drone that they'll, they'll have? I think we've probably moved on. Yeah. Um, I don't... I think... You know, consumers are demanding smaller and smaller packages. Um, and I think, you know, most of the things that the Phantom series had in terms of what people kind of look back on uh, have already been eclipsed by today's drones. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think there's a bit of nostalgia for that series, obviously, from a lot of people. But, um, you know, a lot of that stuff we can do today. And I think we even see with the Mini 3 the potential of now be able to do, you know, higher degrees upwards uh, because it's in front of propellers, which we could never do before. Um, and I think if you look at the Mavic 3 and having dual lenses, I think that's the future. That's what um, the majority of people are, are really looking for is to have a telephoto yeah. lens and exactly that sort of thing. Yeah. It's only going to continue. Um, I think if we look at most product categories for most companies, we see uh, effectively good, better, best, right? And that the concept of the Mini is good, the Air 2S is theoretically better, and then the Mavic is, you know, theoretically best within the consumer realm yeah. anyways. Um, and then for the next series, we take the things from the Mavic series and step it down into the uh, Air 2S equivalency, and then we take the Air 2S and step it down into the Mini 3, and then we repeat the cycle over and over again forever. Um, so I would imagine that, you know, if we look forward to the next series, we'll see dual lenses probably step down into an air 3s or whatever you want to call it um and we'll see you know effectively 360 degree optical avoidance in that same category and we'll just continue to see this repeat and i think looking at your phone example we'll eventually see the point where the the mavic is carrying probably three cameras and um has flexibility like the mini to go up and has the world's our oyster there but i don't think that oyster includes a drone that looks like the the phantom at this point um in the consumer realm anyways yep yeah i have to agree with that what what do you think about the sub 250 category i think it's a big hit in the us but i think for the wrong reason uh, a lot of people don't realize that sub 250 doesn't really bring you any kind of regula- uh, regulatory um uh, yep. waivers per se but i know in europe it's different so is this more of a european market where sub 250 makes sense and in, in the rest of the world what where do you see that it is but even in europe there's all sorts of of caveats around the, the 250 limitation too that um you know makes it 
about is limited uh, because of the fact that none of them are classified yet. Um, so none of them have the EU class markings. So in effect, there isn't actually a huge difference there in, in most scenarios for most people. Um, I think in places like Canada, though, it's a massive difference, yep. right? Canada, in terms of it's it's literally the difference between flying yep. and not flying. Um, I suspect we'll yep. continue to see 250 being where the focus is. Uh, you know, if you look at what they've done with the Mini 3, I know I've said a bunch today, is it's really hard to understand how impressive that is um, in terms of basically taking... I mean, they've wiped out the reason to buy an Air 2S. Yep. Like, there is almost no reason to buy an Air 2S today. Uh, and the reasons are... You're literally just talking some software kind of differences there and something like the 8K hyperlapse, which is purely a software function. It's still shooting the same resolution. It's shooting 8K stills on the Mini 3. Um, you just don't get the video at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's it. It's still shooting that same thing. So if I look down the road, I've got to believe far enough down the road, you'll probably see... Uh, even that gap eventually split where you have multiple categories of sub 250 gram drones as the technology continues to improve. Um, and you're going to have, you know, not just a mini, you know, three pro, whatever you want to call it in the future, but you've got effectively the equivalent of a air 2s or 3s, whatever at 250 grams with even more features. And um, that's just going to be, you know, if we look at like, think about the, on the military side, you've seen obviously that the videos of the little tiny, like, Nat looking drone, like that little tiny thing that's just, you know, super slim and it, it weighs absolutely nothing, right? And that's what's on the military yeah. side. Obviously, that technology can exist on the consumer side, and companies like DJI and others can bring it to us at those weight points. Um, it's just a matter of exactly, it's, it's commercialization. Yeah. And for DJI, they've decided right now to keep those features high end. But as regulations continue to evolve, I think they're going to continue to press that further and further down the weight scales. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk about remote ID. Uh, I don't know how much you follow in the US, but I'm sure you do. I know Europe has, I know at least France has some sort of remote ID uh, concept in place. Where, how do you feel about that? What, what's the uh, implications for you as a, uh, as a person? Who um, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me too much personally in the sense that. I'm licensed in the EU to fly. And if, if I have to have another step to be able to identify in my aircraft, I'm okay with that because I'm flying in the right, you know? So I'm, I'm hoping that for things like remote ID, I prefer that to having no fly zones at all, right? So I prefer having remote ID type of technologies that say, hey, here is this person and here's how to get a hold of them if you need to, or whatever the case may be, versus saying, you know what? this entire area is off limits, right? This whole thing here is, is a no-fly zone. Um, do I think that's a, a fair balance compared to other product categories? So to tread very lightly here, other product categories in the US that do not require anything to go out and purchase and utilize uh, in nefarious ways compared to a drone, right? It, you know, it's mm -hmm. insane making those comparisons, but that's the mm -hmm. reality of the situation. And the, the, bar is far higher in the U.S. to buy and illegally fly a drone than it is to get other product categories. Uh, and that's just, you know, kind of the cause and effect of, of various things, political as well as, uh, you know, even just consumer fright, right? The idea of a drone landing on the White House steps, right? That, that steps up the regulatory attention there and there's cause and effects of that. So if remote ID, remote ID and those similar technologies is a solution to allowing us to still have drones, not just as a hobby, but professionally, then I'm okay with that trade-off. Um, but I think there has to be, you know, maybe then some lessening of the no-fly zones and things like that um, where they make sense uh, rather than just throwing everything under no-fly zones. Do you think that um, remote ID is too yep. much of a one-size-fits-all approach where they have one set of rules that is going to apply to everybody flying whatever drone they fly? Whereas if you look at, I mean, my way of looking at it is that if you have uh, companies that use drones for delivery purposes, let's say, and they have bigger drones and they fly yep. in different areas, I mean, maybe the regulations there should be more strict so we know what's going on versus uh, a kid who gets a drone for Christmas from Best Buy and flies a drone that doesn't even weigh 250 grams. Maybe the rules for, for those cases should be different. Do you feel that um, the rules aren't, uh, how do you say that, like as developed as they should be to kind of cater more specifically to all these different use cases? 
Yeah, I think a lot of them are, they've been uh, reactionary. Yeah. It's an incident happened. Now we have to do something, right? It's, you know, having worked with the federal government mm-hmm. in, a, in a previous life, I understand reactionary in the government quite well. And everything is, something's happened. We must react right away. How do we, how do we show that we're reacting? Um, and that's how a lot of these rules yeah. have, have happened. I think we look at the use of a product from a business standpoint, right? I mean, there are very few other areas in, in US law, for example, where there's a difference between someone using a product for a business person, business purpose and a consumer purpose and having a difference in, you know, having to have a license, right? The fact that I want to be, mm-hmm. uh, use a mini three to take photos of a house for a listing for real estate listing pops me into the commercial category or even to upload a video on YouTube and have it monetized means I'm commercial yeah. versus unchecking the monetized box that same flight, that same everything means I am not commercial. Um, and that doesn't make sense. And, you know, for better or worse here in Europe, we don't have that distinction um, as long as we're talking certain weight classes anyways, uh, where, you know, you, you're you judged based on the weight of your drone and what the drone has potential to do, not judged on what you're going to do with that drone in terms of the footage after the fact. Um, and I think that we see that across a wide range of, of stuff. Uh, and remote ID is kind of one of those areas. Yeah. 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 And Canada is the same way. It's a risk based approach, which is interesting because, uh, the FAA is starting to go towards that with BV loss beyond visual line of sight flying, which is right. a risk based approach with everything we need to do needs to be risk based, not uh, whether or not you're doing it for, uh, you know, for fun or not. It, the same risk applies. So yeah, it's, but you know what it is. It's the FAA applying what they've done for main aircraft for the last hundred years to the drone side. We have a private pilot. You have a commercial pilot's license on yep. the drone, on the airplane side of things. Yep. And, and I think we see kind thing, of so good examples of where those two don't always align as well between the, um, you know, flying an actual aircraft as a licensed pilot versus a drone, a sense of um, the minimum and maximum heights for drones. So the and drones and aircraft, right? In theory, you've got a buffer zone in the US where drones can go up to 400 feet, right? And you've got this 100 foot buffer zone before aircraft at 500 feet. But that rule only works if you're in a quote populated area. If you're talking a sparsely populated area, then mm-hmm. manned aircraft can actually go down to zero. They can go as low as you want. And we see that across YouTube all day long. Um, and that's perfectly legal. But then inversely, it's not perfectly legal for a drone to go above that 400. So now you get this, this point where, yeah, a manned aircraft can go hit a drone and the drone will always long, even if the manned aircraft was the one at you know, 50 meters above the trees out in the, the mountains somewhere. Um, and that's just, to me, those are areas where the FAA and others can kind of look at and go, okay, what are we, what are we trying to accomplish here? And are these rule sets actually aligned correctly? And, and I'm not saying they have to change, but they have to at least make sense when you kind of apply both lenses to it. Yeah, oh. and then you put helicopters <laughs> into the mix. It it's even more yep. uh, even more crazy. So, uh, so speaking of of crazy stories, do you have any crazy stories, good or bad, that uh, have happened with drones, or maybe people coming to talk to you, or <laughs> or things that you've uh, done? Or I seen am, with I'm drone? probably pretty boring in that respect. I. I dislike having people around me when I'm flying drones. I will sit there and wait forever. Kind of back to like the earlier discussion. I am like super by the book. Um, I will sit out there like today. I was trying to get some stuff done uh, for tomorrow and I waited like 15, 20 minutes for this family to leave. Uh, and they were super friendly. They had, they just were curious. Right. But it was just like, I just don't want to deal with any of that right now. I just want to be able to do my thing and not have to worry about it. And the yeah. same is true for like all of the active track testing I do. I am seeking out places at the worst times of the day to avoid crowds in the middle of nowhere. Um, and I'm waiting and waiting and waiting to avoid people yeah. um, so that there is not a single person around. And uh, so generally speaking, all my stories revolve around, you know, active track and things failing and end up having to, to crawl out of canals or crawl into canals. <laughs> no to one made up anybody and, um, around seeing that, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's, <laughs> yeah, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to test the wetsuits. Yeah. <laughs> you can test wetsuits yep. now. No, there's been some, some very cold days. Um, but, you know, I think there's, there's an element though of it. That's just reality and testing in the sense that um, I could go and test on a soccer field and walk in circles around it and be like, oh, active track works. But if I'm going to use active track yeah. and I think people want to see how active track can actually be used, and that's flying it around trees and flying it just like DJI and Skydio's own product, yeah. you know, marketing presentation show. And I'm going to mimic that. Uh, and if I can't do that, then the drone isn't doing what it's advertised to do. Uh, and so that's kind of my, my end goal there. 
Yeah. Do Do you ever get recognized when you do go out and, and very do rarely uh, for for drones for watches and bike computers all day long, but not for drones. Um, I think it's a different different groupings of people, and um, I think also again I'm I'm generally flying when there's nobody around, so the ability for someone to connect those yeah. dots is is less versus if they see me out cycling or running with you know three or four watches, they're like, oh wait a second. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, I get recognized in terms of just general being in life sort of things. Like I said, I was down in the Caribbean and I got recognized like every single day on this resort by different people. Um, just uh, be like, oh, we've seen your videos for XYZ product. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I think the the drone side, I just try to stay away from everyone. So no one has a chance to see me. Uh, that might change after this show goes live. You never know. <laughs> That's good. We'll, we'll see, we'll see yeah. for the uh, huge pixel audience that we're having. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're, I think we've already spent more than an hour. So first of all, thank you for, for being willing to come on the show and to share all your experience and your knowledge uh, about drones and, and just being a, a reviewer and a, and a YouTuber. Um, we typically end our show with the question, what is your favorite drone? Like if you had to pick one drone right now, which is the one that kind of ticks all your boxes and, and is the most suitable for how you fly drones? That's tough. Skydio? Yeah, I'd say. <laughs> yeah. I think at the moment, it's the Mini 3. Yeah. I think I because, you know, for, for what I do, I want to be able to have something that's super lightweight and portable. Yeah. And while the, the Skydio has better tracking and better obstacle avoidance than the Mini does, um, I don't generally need to go super long distances to get the shots I need. You know, most of what I need is to be able to fill a 15 to 30 second Instagram reel or as B-roll, which may only last three to four seconds. Yeah. Um, so I don't need it to track me for miles. I just need to track me correctly for 100 meters. Um, and so in that sense, the ability to stick that in my jersey pocket in a camelback while I'm running, hiking, even just traveling... It's just the easiest thing to go to right now, um, and that that's kind of where I'm. I'm would at. the uh, would the biggest improvement for the Mini Three beat uh, for you to be able to fly from your phone? Absolutely, that'd, that'd be, be huge. Yeah. Um, if they could, uh, and obviously it has Wi-Fi connectivity. That's how you do direct connect and Wi-Fi direct. Um, but uh, if if I could have a way to to control it from my phone, that'd be massive. Yeah. Uh, um, or if DJI wants to release some overpriced accessory i am happy to buy that instead like a, a dji beacon i don't care what the price is so like as long as it works for more than one drone yeah. as long as i can keep it for a couple of years like a you know rc pro or rc whatever um then that'd yeah. be i'm happy to do that. The, the phone app uh, idea to be able to fly the drone from your phone really shouldn't be that hard for dji to to implement that you would think They've had it in the yeah. past. That's the kicker. Um, and it's just, it's so convenient. It's, uh, again, having used the the Mavic Air for so long, again, even in the last couple of months, having used it, uh, to be able to just throw that drone in my back pocket, yeah. take up, get the shots I need. Like I said, they only last 15 to 30 seconds on the high end. Uh, and it's usually just, a lot of times, just static shots. I'm just putting the drone in the air, and I'm just cycling through it or running yeah. through it or riding through it. And then in post, I'm zooming and whatever else the case may be. That's all yeah, I'm looking so. for. I'm, I'm a simple person. Maybe, uh, maybe we'll end the show with that, with a request to uh, to DJI to please bring back uh, the ability to fly your Mini Three <laughs> directly from your phone. That'd be uh, that'd be nice. That'd be an amazing thing. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for being on the show. It was awesome to uh, to be able to talk to you, especially since we all share our love for running and, and being active and outside. So uh, it's much appreciated. Yeah, thanks for having me on board. This was a lot of fun. It's fun to, yep. I don't get the chance to like talk drones and geek out and stuff yeah. uh, as much as I'd love to. So this is kind of fun just to be able to hang out and talk all sorts of crazy tech over the last decade. <laughs> Good awesome. times. <laughs>